Our Old Testament passage today picks up with 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramat Haim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tahu, son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now remember, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Long before they ever built the temple in Jerusalem under Solomon, for over 350 years, the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle of the Wilderness was at Shiloh. And, and Shiloh is a beautiful area. If you can look at it, it looks like a big bowl with the mountains going up on the side. And then right in the center is kind of a flat area. So all the 12 tribes could camp around it and they could all see the, um, the tabernacle. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the mark of a rival. Not a friend. In each of our lives, there are things that go on that we don't understand. Like you look at this, the Lord closed her womb and you put question marks next to it. God had something special lined up for Hannah. In his foreknowledge, he knew her. He had something special lined up for her, but she didn't understand that. See, a rival, a rival never encourages you. A rival provokes you. A rival provokes you to irritate you. Have you ever been around people that always want to irritate you? They always want to remind you of your failures. They always want to remind you of, of things that they disagree with. They always want to remind you of things that, that you failed at, that, it, that they were successful in. And it just, it just irritates you. you. You don't understand, why did I fail at that? But it happened. A friend encourages you. A rival provokes you. And so it went on year by year. This, this, this didn't happen once. This, this went on. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Imagine, every time you go to church, these people provoke you. Well, you know, God didn't answer your prayer yet. See, you have no babies yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have children. You don't. Yeah, yeah. Can you, who wants to go worship? Okay, I mean, grabe. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat next to the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever touch his head. In other words, he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. 
As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not hurt. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. He said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, you look at Eli and forgive me, he had no way of knowing. You see, people think that spiritual leaders know everything. No, we don't. Okay, okay. Eli is a human. Eli is human, not God. He did not know what was going on. She was acting a little weird. Now, you know what I've learned? Sometimes you see people in service and they're very sincere crying out to God and they're weird. It looks weird. They're not weird, but it looks weird. And I've also seen people come to church drunk. Okay, I mean, you can smell it on them. And they also act a little weird. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. So you don't get mad at Eli because all Eli could do was observe. He's not God. He doesn't know her heart. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. All right, so um, what is a drunk? A drunk would be a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Now that's a response from a man of God. He just says, Okay, I'm wrong. Go in peace. I was wrong. Go in peace. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that this woman didn't have a weird attitude, okay? She didn't look at, at Eli and go, well, you're just wrong. What kind, of a, what kind of a priest are you? I mean, she didn't get belligerent with Eli. I want you to notice the heart of this woman. She was, you know, you can tell when somebody is truly seeking God. Because when they're truly seeking God and you come along and say something weird to them, they don't respond and fight with you. I mean, she was really seeking God. That's one of the things I've learned in my short life, that when people are really pouring out their heart to God and then they hear a word of correction that is incorrect, they don't get mad because everything in their heart has been seeking God. They, they, they don't respond with bitterness. They don't respond with, with anger. She just said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. And immediately Eli responds back to her and says, and the God of Israel grants your petition you have made to him. He puts his blessing on her prayer. And now the Lord remembers her. But, you know, if she destroyed that relationship, see, people will look at this and they'll get all weird about it. I look at this and I go, God is setting up her future. God is setting up the future. He had to get her noticed by Eli. He had to get this relationship together. And he did it in this way. 
In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I ask for the Lord, for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. She intended to keep her vow. Now, I want you to notice something. She didn't want to go up yet because she didn't want it to seem that she was not keeping her vow because the child wasn't weaned yet. If she went and then took him away, it would seem to others and maybe even in her own conscience that she wasn't keeping her vow. So she said, I'll bring him up when I'm ready. And O'Connor, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until he was weaned. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. I mean, he's just been weaned. They slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Remember, God set up her future. I was the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He has lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed. Can you imagine how hard it was for that woman to give her child to the Lord? To just leave him there in the temple? And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. <laughs> All that irritation she had from her rival. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more very proudly and let not arrogance come from your mouth. <laughs> She's answering her rival now. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Now you need to get a hold of that. God weighs the actions of people. You know, you can fool people, but you can't fool God. God weighs the actions of people. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Are you getting this, beloved? The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. 
He makes poor, he makes rich, he brings low, he exalts, he raises up the poor, he lifts the needy, he makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. This is what God does. Get a hold of that. Some of you, you're going, you know, people have been putting me down for so long. And there comes a day that God just begins to raise you up. I can remember as a church years ago, we were always made fun of as the poor downtown church, the unfinished building. And even many of my friends made fun of us. But then one day, God just began to raise us up. He took the poor and he made us rich. He lifted us from the ash heap. And he made us sit with princes that inherit a seat of honor. I sit on some of the, the, the biggest boards of Pentecostal churches in the world today. And you just sit there and go, how did this little boy from Manila, <laughs> how did we get where we are? God. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Did you hear that? Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. <laughs> you don't prevail because you're strong. You only prevail because God helps you. Keep your heart humble before the Lord, beloved. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in the heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. The boy was ministering to the Lord. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Now, now here's a study that you need to work on. This is one of those lists. Worthless people, both men men and women. Eli had sons that did not know the Lord. Wow. So they had a position without a relationship. They actually had a position of ministry. These, these were the sons of the high priest. These were descendants of Aaron's family but they didn't know the Lord. Now, you just, you look at this and you go, how do things like this happen? Now, later on, you'll see, you know, I, I taught you a series many years ago, uh, Great Men of Faith with Family train wrecks, And honestly, Samuel had the same problem. He, he learned the same family lifestyle from Eli and cultural things passed on. They were worthless men. These were not good men. These were not men who were trying these were men who did not know the Lord, had no walk with God at all. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was still boiling with a three-thronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up to the priest could take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat to the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if a man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Now look at this. 
Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Wow. They treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. In other words, it didn't mean anything to them. The, the sacred seed didn't mean anything to them. They just this took what they wanted. I can remember many years ago preaching in a church, and the offering was brought into the pastor's office afterwards, and he just reached and grabbed a handful of money and said, Let's go out to dinner. Well, I noticed he grabbed a handful of money. I thought, that's strange. They didn't count it. They didn't bank it. They didn't book it. They didn't, you know, my accountant background comes out. And we got to the restaurant, and when it came time to pay the bill, he reached out of that same pocket and started pulling out all these bills. I said, no, 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 let me do this tonight. And I paid for it. He said, why are you being rude? I said, I'm not being rude. But I said, you just grabbed the money out of the offering bag tonight. He said, well, we're not doing anything wrong with it. I said, yes, but isn't it kind of treating it wrongly? Now, now brothers and sisters, you got to understand, you don't, you don't ever treat the offering with contempt. You know, we've had pastors that we fired over the last 40 years because they stole Connect Group offerings. We, we've had people, staff that we have fired who stole money out of the offering bags during the counting. We've had ushers that we removed. And, you know, sorry, I mean, the spirit of Judas is alive and well. I, I just read that one of the great churches in America uh, caught a bookkeeper who stole $1.4 million from the church. The the spirit of Judas is alive and well, and you gotta you got to fight with it every day to keep it out. But this was coming from the sons and from their assistants. They treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. You always treat seed as holy. You always treat seed as holy. You'll never hear me put down the seed. You always treat the offering as holy. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Now he's a boy, so you say, why didn't he why didn't he stop the, the sons of Eli? Because he's a boy. He's just he's just a kid. And the mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Can you imagine? Every year she'd be working on that little robe and take it up to her boy. She never stopped loving that boy. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So they would return to their home. Now here's this long-term relationship. God set up. By keeping their heart right and not losing their temper because Eli was wrong, he was human. He, made, he didn't sin, but he made a mistake. By keeping that relationship, they kept the blessings flowing in their family. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Wow. Now, Eli was very old, and he, ah, this is the hard part. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing, how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. All right, so... Not only do they treat the offerings with contempt, right? These, these, are the, these are the sins of Eli's sons. One, they treated 
the offering with contempt. Number two, sexual immorality in the house of God. Now, they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Now, now folks, you have to understand what they were doing is they were having sex in the tent of meeting. They were These women were serving, and then they were having sex with them. So it would be like pastors having sex with the lady ushers in the auditorium. Yuck, diva. And he said to his son, so all right, I want you also to notice Eli knew. Because people told him. He said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from among all the people. Eli knew. Eli corrected. With words. Eli corrected with words. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear of the people of the Lord spreading abroad. And notice, Eli respects God's people. He calls them the people of the Lord. You cannot have a true man of God. And Eli was a true man of God, but we'll see he made some mistakes. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But he he did respect God's people. He said, these are the people of the Lord. He said, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede with him? But, and here's the key, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, brothers and sisters, hard hearts. You see, as long as people's hearts aren't hard, God's still working on them. But there are times that God said enough is enough. And you wonder, why don't, why don't they soften their hearts to God and repent? Because God's already made up his mind what to do with them. But they would not listen. So there's their third sin. They would not listen to correction. Now, this is sometimes, and please don't get mad at me, but sometimes this is what I call the problem with church kids. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with man. But th- this is the problem I sometimes have with church kids. You, you've grown up in church all your life, and you treat the things of God with contempt, and you don't see the house of God, God's house, as holy. You know, you, you treat you treat the house of God as if it means nothing. Young people, you've been locked out of the house of God for a year. Fifteen months now. When you come back, may I beg of you, please, in Jesus' name, to look at the house of God with a different set of eyes, that this is not just another building. This is a house of God. And that you always treat the house of God as a different place.
You don't allow familiarity with the house of God because you grew up in church. You don't allow familiarity to breed contempt in your heart. Amen? All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
our New Testament passage today starts in John chapter 6. Begin with verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, heard what? Heard that Jesus is the bread of heaven. When they heard the teaching of the bread of heaven, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his own disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Now the word here, offense, means to see that in which, in your opinion, it's wrong. Offense is all about opinions. There were people that saw things, they heard Jesus say things that, in their opinion, they didn't like. And their response was to grumble. His own disciples. Now, Jesus is the perfect leader. Jesus is the sinless Son of God. And his disciples grumbled and were offended at him. Then, verse 62, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He said, now listen, dudes, if, if this offends you, if this makes you grumble, what are you going to do when you see me ascend to heaven? <laughs> now, that's a pretty straight question, okay? Straight question about the future. He said, now listen, when, when you see me ascending to where I was before, what are you going to do then? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh has no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, the words that I have spoken to you, they're spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. I, I notice there is a difference. There is a difference. There are people who would not believe and then there are people who would betray. That's two different types of people and Jesus understood both of them. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is why, all right? So because of offense, he said, this is why. Because, because people get offended at what I say. This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, wow. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The great walking away. Now, this is the first great rejection. He came to his own and his own received him not. Now, can you imagine how Jesus would have felt? You know, Wow. I teach them just a little bit of truth and, and they get all offended and walk away from me? Wow. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? <laughs> Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Wow, good answer. <laughs> good answer. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, we have believed, and Judas would have been part of that. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? <laughs> All right, so we can see from this 
that Judas is already stealing. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. All right, so avoid a fight until proper time. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, and his brothers, all right, these are his his earthly brothers, they grew up together, Mary is their mama, said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, this is mocking. His own brothers were mocking him. Another translation put this way. No one works in secret who wants to be famous. But Jesus didn't want to be famous. He just wanted to die for our sins. (laughs) You know, when you sit down and you realize the heart of the Savior, he had no desire to be somebody. He was somebody. He had no desire to live up to what the world thought of a famous person should be like. All he wanted to do was what the Father asked him to do, to die for the sins of the world. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. Now he's speaking. Notice he's speaking to his brothers. My time has not yet come, but yours is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Now notice the specificness of his speech, to this feast. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, No, he's leading the people astray. (laughs) Two reports about Jesus. You know, and basically, it's about the same two reports you hear about every man of God today. Some say they're a good man, and others say they're leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. This was all all quiet. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? (laughs) Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Now, can I just pause there for a minute? In between revivals, everybody gets really desirous on having their PhDs and their THDs and their double doctorates and their double masters and all of that. But you know, when revival hits, it's very different. People want to listen to someone who has a word from the Lord. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. 
If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. You can always tell when a man is speaking on his own authority because he seeks his own glory. Hmm. He's not pointing people to God. He's tearing everybody else down, but he's not pointing people to God. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. All right, so notice the source. is not from Moses, but from the fathers. Now, again, brothers and sisters, sometimes people look at everything as the source is not the law. Just like with tithing. People always say it's the law, but it was from the fathers. It was before the law. Just like tithing. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Wow. Jesus. Jesus was not a mean speaker, but Jesus was a very clear speaker. All right, let's take for just a few minutes to close out today a little bit of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Ah, New Living says, pay attention to what is put before you. If you're a big eater, put a knife to your throat. All right, never indulge before leaders, before leadership. Never indulge. Never just go, you know, if they've got your favorite, don't go pig out, okay, when you're sitting down with top leadership. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, again, what a ruler can eat and pay for and what you and I can eat and pay for is different things. He continues, now, now look at these do-nots. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. I like New Living Translation. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. <laughs> Be wise enough to know when to quit, okay? Folks, there comes a point when enough is enough. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For it suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward the heaven. New Living Translation. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. Now, you've seen a lot of wealth disappear during this last COVID-19 thing. Brothers and sisters, we're not done seeing that wealth disappear yet. I'm not prophesying, 
but from experience from the 80s and 90s. The second part of this thing is going to be economic problems. Probably inflation. Things are going to cost a lot more money. See, inflation is how a government demonetizes its debt. See, if, if a government owes $1 trillion and the peso today is this value, well, if, if the inflation, say inflation is at 30%, that's really high inflation, but say inflation is 30%, in real terms, the government only pays back $700 billion. They've saved 30% in real money. Inflation is how governments in the world demonetize their debt. They make their debt more manageable. But again, it, it passes the burden onto the people. So all over the world right now, you're going to see inflation kicking in in nations of the world. I was reading a report the other day about how crazy expensive oil has become when it's been cheap for quite a few years. How expensive wood has become. How expensive copper and, and basic items have become. The shortage of computer chips because of a, of a lack of, of manufacturing. All these shortages that are beginning to come cause inflation. The overprinting of money supplies cause inflation. Now let me give you an illustration of this. In 1980, when I first became your pastor, the peso was either 3 to 1 or 6 to 1. I had to go back and look. And if you had a million pesos in the bank in 1980, forgive me, you, you were very well off. But when the peso devalued from, say, 6 to 1 to 50 to 1, um, you didn't have much money left, now did you? <laughs> no. Inflation wiped out the value of money. So you, you have to learn in life. You trust in God. You don't trust in the wealth that you have. Some of you, you're sitting on very large bank accounts right now. God has been good to you. And, and it's a wonderful thing. Please, I don't criticize it at all. But understand, you never put your trust in your wealth. Because when you light your eyes on it, or in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. Jesus will never disappear. All right, we'll see you tonight. Seven o'clock as we get back into the book of Romans.